Dear family and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who is the Messiah. It was a cold winter's eve in March of 1989. People from all over the Gallatin Valley were huddled together in the warmth of a very small middle school auditorium. The huddled crowd was all abuzz with great expectations. For the famous piano soloist, George Winston had come to town. He'd recently become an overnight sensation all over the United States. His albums with their percussive melodies and gentle falling snow tempos were a calming muse for our frazzled culture. The house lights were then brought low, and with a sudden hush coming over the auditorium. But there was no applause as a disheveled-looking middle-aged man shuffled, stocking-footed, onto the stage. Slowly, he moved around that large concert grand piano. He started to reposition it, playing a couple of chords. But then, like an auto mechanic, he did something very strange. He walked over to the piano, and again, like an auto mechanic, he put his head underneath the big hood of the piano. And he started to pluck the strings like a harp. We thought, what in the world is he doing? Well, the man then slowly shuffled off behind the dark curtains. At that point, people started to laugh, thinking, this is some kind of joke, right? Well, unless, you know, he's some stagehand doing a sound check or something. So everyone went back to their bantering. I mean, this couldn't be George Winston. He didn't look like some famous recording artist. He had no bling. He had no Grammy-like pizzazz. I mean, this guy was bearded with a bald pate, wearing glasses that kind of looked like this, and was kind of looking around, and his shirt was undone, his flannel hanging down over his torn blue jeans. And of course, there was those wool socks, you know, with toes sticking out here and there. Yeah, must be some, some stagehand guy. Great expectations. Ha. Well, a couple of minutes later, the disheveled-looking fellow shuffled back onto the stage and seated himself at the piano bench. In spite of their disrespectful banter, he made no overture to get the audience's attention. He just closed his eyes and began to cradle some chords with a touch only a maestro can muster. Then came this huge collective gasp, a hush, no more banter, only the sounds of a mellifluous melody 
that made all our mortal flesh keep silent. For all of us there in that crowd, in that crowded auditorium, knew it was George Winston. And we had ears to hear and eyes to see. Now, as we move into our gospel text for today, we think of the beginnings of Jesus' life in ministry, the house lights being brought low, one starry night over a little town called Bethlehem. And years later, a fluttering hush of a dove as a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, with this watery word breaking in from the banks of the Jordan River, entering then into Jesus' ministry. He went around repositioning the pompous piety of the time, plucking the hardened heartstrings of arrogance and causing a contemptuous laughter as he cast out demons and healed the sick, sitting at a bench while befriending those considered social outcasts, you know, lepers, tax collectors, harlots. And so be people began to buzz, who is this guy? As we read earlier in the sixth chapter of Mark, isn't he a carpenter from that hick town, you know, of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary? Are you kidding? The Messiah? Oh, how they thought they had him pigged with sarcastic banter. You see, their great expectations of a mighty Messiah figure were brought low. You stagehand, who do you think you are anyway? God? And later they thought they had him nailed. But then, like a George Winston making no grand overtures, Jesus began to place his hands upon the human stage of history. Big, rock Monanoff hands, hands that could span the whole keyboard of life, playing broad, sweeping melodies of God's grace notes that went right up off the page, inviting intonations like, come, let us talk about these things, for your lives are scarlet with sin, but I will make them white as snow. Or again, come, all of you come unto me who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Like the great maestros who dared to go deep into the dark places of our human condition and tragedy. Like Sophocles' Antigone or Shakespeare's Hamlet, Verdi's La Traviata or Mahler's Sixth Symphony, Sartre's No Exit or Picasso's Guernica. Jesus went even deeper bringing life and light even out of sin and death. As St. Paul witnesses in our second reading for today, he is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence even, then, even the things that are not, that do not even exist. People began to invite Jesus to their weddings and dinners and even funerals. Why? Why? because he was the life 
of the party. Not only for the dead, but the religious deadbeats and all of us who are dead in our sins this day. Jesus became an overnight success, selling thousands of recordings. And of these recordings we have in the New Testament, St. Mark shares some of them with us again this day. For example, in Mark chapter 1, several times Jesus casts out demons and heals the sick. But then he says, don't tell anybody. Later in Mark chapter 5, he raises a girl from the dead with but a word. Talitha Kumi, says he, arise. And she does. And Jesus charges them, don't tell anyone. And now in our gospel reading for today, Jesus pauses as he begins to set his face toward Jerusalem and the cross. And a little group of cities named after the powerful Caesars, Caesarea Philippi, famous for its great wealth and worship of many gods. Jesus not only asks, who do people and the Poles say that I am? No, but who do you say from your heart I am? And breaking into a loud, spirited applause, Peter answers, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the long-awaited one. So do you remember? There in verse 30 of our text for today, what does Jesus say? Don't tell anybody. And he charged them to tell no one about him. But why not? You've got to be kidding, right? The long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, is here. I mean, you want to shout it from the rooftops because you're as high as you're going to get. So you can inhale but not exhale? In our Bible study this past Wednesday morning, the same question was posed. Why would Jesus say, don't tell anyone? Biblical scholars call this kind of refrain in Mark's gospel the messianic secret. So again, why do you think Jesus was causing the disciples to hang in thin air with don't tell anyone? Reverse psychology? Hmm? Hardly. Think hard on this, like with nails and wood. Why didn't Jesus want those who were healed or even his disciples to proclaim at this point in his ministry that he is the Christ, the Messiah? Well, certainly not just because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. He didn't want to be understood to be some miracle man. Rather, not long after, he tore the curtain of the Wizard of Oz of this world in two from top to bottom. So St. Mark gives us the answer to this question in our gospel lesson in verses 31 and 32. Listen in again. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Did you hear it? 
The messianic secret or explanation is simply this. There is no crown before a cross. There is no crown before a cross. What Jesus is teaching the disciples and us is that there are places in the human heart where power and might cannot enter, but only suffering, but only humility and weakness can get in. And knowing this, God sent His Son in the person of Jesus to take on our frail flesh, entering into our suffering, identifying with us, even to the lengths of a cross. And by His stripes, says Isaiah, we are healed. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in The Cost of Discipleship, you can fear an all-powerful God, but that's not love. So again, why this business of don't tell anyone? Because Jesus wasn't finished yet. He had the whole world yet to heal, and Jesus was to do this from one singular symphonic point, that is, seated at the bench of Calvary. Hands stretched out, covering the whole world. And then came that shout from the cross, that cry that connected heaven and earth, says, Jesus, it is finished. The messianic secret. It's a crossword, actually. One line down and one across. To conclude, sisters and brothers in Christ, What's at the heart of the gospel for us this day is that it gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, that it wasn't until after Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection that the Word was finally out, that finally answered and explained the messianic secret, breaking down all the misguided hoopla of our great expectations, of our calculated metrics and delivery systems, for the only integer is the cross. Other than the slivers of suffering, there are no fractions. Get behind me, Satan, says Jesus. It's a word that wings its way across the centuries and down into our ears and hearts this day. Jesus is saying to you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Yes, I am the Messiah, says Jesus, and I have come for you. I claim you as my own forever, for good, for salvation. This is not a matter of some miracle worker, wizard of Oz, Yoda, or saying the secret is Rumpelstiltskin, peasant pauper, wandering prophet. Rather, Jesus is the Word of God in a wondrously mysterious way, yeah, maybe to the world's eyes a stagehand who surprisingly ends up playing grace notes beyond all human comprehension, reviling God's very nature of salvation for the world, who is truth and grace all the way through. Yes, the Buddha, Socrates, um, Muhammad, they gave us wise teaching, 
but Jesus gave us his life. My friends, beware the false teaching in our day. Even in our so-called church colleges and Christian seminaries, that Jesus is but one of many great teachers or prophets. That there are all kinds of ways of salvation. That there really wasn't a bodily resurrection. But God's holy scriptures make clear in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Again in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God but the only Son, Jesus the Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made God known for us, for the world. Where St. Paul witnesses in 1 Corinthians 1.23, some demand signs and others seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Or finally in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has a no-nonsense conclusion that puts all the strutting and bantering and hoopla of sin and death to a silent hush. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. My friends, the secret's out, and it's all over. It's all over you, and it's in you by God's Holy Spirit. And so we lift up our song of prayer and praise and thanksgiving with Peter, the first disciples, George Winston, and us. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand now, full of grace notes. Mm -hmm. 